Which number episode? It's the fifth? No, it's the sixth. It's been no, four introductory. Like... The sixth. Is it? I don't think so. Who cares what number it is? Hey, everybody. Welcome back. And today we're actually not introducing something for once. We're having a real people episode. Isn't that exciting? It is very exciting. And also, full disclosure, this episode is a bit late, and that is entirely my fault. I just <laughs> want that to be uh, out in I the open. Gonna the make you said, I nope. wasn't going to make you say it, but okay. No, nope, it is entirely on me, and I just want to make sure that nobody thinks that the muffin is some kind of slacker, because I am. It's This is, um, well, completely my fault. Just I have been so accused of many things in my life, but I have never actually been accused of being a slacker. Yeah. Also, I am. I must also take the blame for something else, and that is the odd running noises that might get picked up by the microphone. It's my cat who is having a running episode. Um, <laughs> no, but she was fast asleep. She's been knocked out the second I start talking into this microphone for uh, our podcast. She does that. Great. All right, your house of noise. <laughs> Jesus. All right. I'm used to it. The episode. This week, we will be talking about Bella Swan. So with that, I uh, give the word to you, Muffin, to begin. <laughs> All right, I guess I get to start out. So one thing we want to start out is for those who aren't familiar with Twilight or have vague familiarity, what is Bella generally perceived to be in sort of the history of her as a character? Because, you know, it's been since 2005. It's been almost 20 years now. Good God. So Bella Swan is the protagonist of Twilight. As we all know, she's the narrator for the vast majority of the saga and she ends up with edward her true love interest at the end and she's generally pre being perceived to be a quite boring character by uh, fans and critics alike fans and fan fiction you'll see a lot they will replace bella with a character they prefer who might be called bella swan or they might say it's a totally different character but this will be a character who has a backbone who says no to Edward or who asserts her opinion or ha is a more vivacious, has um, a much larger than life personality than they perceive Bella to have in the books. And so she's been viewed quite negatively. And the common complaint about her is that she's boring. She doesn't have a personality. She just kind of sits there and says, yes, Edward, and does whatever he wants or is not worthy of Edward because she has no personality or if you're in the really weird uh, Twilight fan section, it's because she dares to do things like ask him to have sex with her when they're married. Good God, Bella, you monster. How dare you ask that of Edward? But um, yeah, that's generally Bella. And uh, it's resoundingly negative towards her or neutral, I would say. And uh, that's where we come in being here at Heretics because we have uh, quite different opinions on Bella. Take that away, Vanel. Will do. So yeah, we think Bella is a very interesting person, of course, which is why we're, uh, you know, fans of her and also doing this episode. So to start off, Bella is very much a 17-year-old girl. She is accused of being, you know, so boring, but, um, and of throwing it all away for a guy. But just when in every single decision that she makes is uh, very, very noticeably 17-year-old. She is such a teenager complete with the whole, I was born middle-aged. I'm so much more mature than these other kids. 
she um and of course edward too is like yeah i'm so old i'm totally mentally older than 17 even though i will do all these very 17 year old things and then they and, uh, talk to each other about how mature and adult they are yeah i was um, gonna throw that out there and she also um, does the same with jacob later although he is noticeably too young for her it makes her very uncomfortable through the series he's one year younger one year younger and <laughs> too young for her but she also notes wow jake you're also very mature for your age, just like I am. And they have a whole talk about it. And this is because Jacob has to take care of his uh, paraplegic father. And it's caused him to take on a lot of adult responsibilities. But uh, never let that stop Bella. She's also very, very hung up on age because Edward is forever 17 and she's his girlfriend. They're in love. That means she has to be forever 17 as well. It is a whole disaster in New Moon. <laughs> When she turns 18 years old. No, how could the gods be so cruel? And when she wakes up a vampire one year later, and it's coincidentally exactly on her 19th birthday, she goes, no, 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 I was bitten when I was 18. That makes me 18. <laughs> it is a whole deal. And, uh, and yeah, she reason. squeezes in the marriage and that biting is fast as she can because god forbid she turned 20 oh yeah, yeah that's out of the question edward tries to bring up that you know carla and s may have an age difference where she is three years older than him and bella just glares like they're adults doesn't count they're ancient anyway <laughs> uh so yeah it's um incredibly 17 year old protagonist and of course, a hopeless romantic, she is all about the great novels and of course wants her romance to be just like those novels as well. She um, brings out, you know, Woodrin Heights and Romeo and Juliet and just all the Shakespeare and all the, I cannot keep, I will sound so uncultured, but I cannot keep my Brontes and Jane Austen's <laughs> apart at all. But, you know, she's just throwing those out there. Um, yeah, a lot of Mr. Darcy. Mm-hmm. And uh, really, really romanticizing both love and men and her own life. And also, well, this is more than just being 17 year old romantic, but Bella makes very, very interesting choices. She is a profoundly odd character. So throughout these novels, we are constantly seeing these mental gymnastics that make perfect sense to Bella. But not necessarily the outside world. And that can be both characters in the universe. They're frequently left guessing. You're not just going, what did that girl just do? I don't get it. Uh, must be because she loves Edward so much. And, you know, the answer is just that Bella is fucking weird. Um, but also readers will be somewhat thrown by Bella as well, because she will do all of these things that made perfect sense when she carried them out. And she never doubts herself. We, the readers, are, of course, at, at, at the same time on board because we're seeing everything from her point of view. But you also see a lot of people in the fandom be like, well, in her situation, I would have done this. And kind of missing the point that Bella is a fictional character who is portrayed in a certain way. This is who she is. You can't say she doesn't have a personality and then dismiss her you know, character moments. <laughs> So um, just to throw out an example there, which we'll get into later, Bella spends an entire novel chasing a hallucination of Edward in the most dangerous and reckless manner she can 
possible because hallucination Edward enjoys fear. <laughs> it sounds so bad when you put it like that, but it's true. It's that true. was an entire novel. We we all read that novel and we watched the movie too, which was somehow harder to get through than that book. Yeah, there was. Well, we shamelessly enjoyed the columns in these books, and there was just not a lot of columns in that book. Not a lot but of yeah. columns in that book. Yeah. Moving on to the next point, Muffin, take it away, as you said. Right, <laughs> take it away. Uh, so to get into that, Bella's mental health. Um, Bella is a severely depressed character, and she's never diagnosed with this in canon. She never notes it herself, but she shows many of the symptoms of depression, especially in New Moon, but really throughout the novels. And um, the way we view it is vampirism is how she can absolve herself of being Bella Swan. It will make her better in every capacity. She will be smarter. She will be more beautiful. She will be graceful. She won't be human looking. It takes away every bit of herself that she hates. She will become a different person. And so vampirism is sort of her solution to the Bella Swan problem and um, something she struggles with throughout the novels. But some more examples of this is that Bella throughout the novels is convinced that no one will miss her if she were to disappear. She believes she can be turned into a vampire at any time or she can die at any time, which is effectively what being turned into a vampire will be for her as she has to lose all contact with the human world. This is her father, her mother, her friends, everyone who knows her except for the Cullens. She thinks that uh, Charlie will get over it both because he has his friends and then later he marries Sue and he has the Clearwater kids and that her mother has Phil and that with these other people in their lives, Bella might be missed for a little bit, but it won't be for long. She thinks they'll have like two seconds of grief because that is the ultimate impact that Bella makes in their life. She also is terrible with empathy. She can't really see past her own nose. And part of this is the depression. Part of this is other issues she has is she is terrible throughout the novels with making friends. And she knows this, but she doesn't really know why. She just assumes she's odd or she assumes that somebody glaring at her across the uh, classroom or at lunch. And she assumes A, that they are glaring. A lot of the time, I think they're just looking at her, but she assumes they hate her. And she doesn't really know why. And this is when um, there's a very famous incident in New Moon where she takes her friend Jessica, who has been there through her very serious depression where she wasn't talking or interacting or doing anything for four months. And she goes up to her friend and says, I want to see a movie. And she does this because she's concerned her father will make her leave Forks and that all reminders of Edward will be gone then. But anyway, so they go to the movies and it's all right, but then they get out and she sees a group of very scary looking motorcyclists who specifically remind her of these guys in the previous novel who were going to gang rape her. And she wanders towards them because she sees hallucination Edward telling her not to do it. Jessica is terrified and says as much. And then Jessica refuses to hang out with Bella after that. She says no and puts her foot down. Bella then thinks Jessica's not that great of a friend because Jessica dropped her and she has no idea why. And Jessica just has a problem. And her true friend was Angela, 
who did not interact with Bella much during this depression phase and kind of doesn't care what Bella gets up to at all. They they do um, stamping of her invitations one time and they they have an okay talk. And Bella thinks that's quite cool of Angela. Angela's her good human friend. Jessica's just terrible. Um, so she has no real friends. And other things are that she has this, yeah, what's up? It's perhaps just in terms of Bella assuming people hate her. I just think that uh, readers who aren't too familiar with Twilight really get a kick out of the fact that Bella sort of gets herself a 12-year-old nemesis based off of this logic of hers. Basically, it goes that uh, Jane, this one 12-year-old vampire who has the power to torture people, tries to torture Bella. It doesn't work. Jane is upset. Next time she sees Bella, she tries to do it again. It doesn't work. She laughs it off and then she cracks a joke about it and she seems to be pretty much over it. Bella! <sighs> she takes Jane very, very seriously in a way that is pretty much uncaring or unaware that Jane is 12 and glared at Bella one time when she next... Yeah, it's her nemesis <laughs> and I'm, I'm not sure Jane feels the same way. <laughs> It doesn't come across that way. It doesn't come across that way. Jane is showing much more maturity in that than Bella. And Bella, yeah. Mm. Oh, Jane hates me. It's like, yeah, Jane probably doesn't like you, but it's not personal. <laughs> yeah, back to Bella and her issues is she also has this need for others to both define her and to give her intrinsic value. Bella, throughout the novels, she hates herself. She views herself as boring as her eye color is average, her height is average, there's nothing interesting about her and what is noticeable about her, her clumsiness, her odd way of thinking are things that she doesn't like. She's either boring or she's weird. And she's very aware of this and she doesn't like it at all. And so she uses other people to give her meaning and to make her important. And this is what we see in Edward. She glomps onto Edward unhealthily so and invests herself in this relationship because he sees something important in her that she cannot see. And she reiterates this constantly if she doesn't know why he's interested in her. And he tells her, oh, it's because you're fascinating and beautiful and blah, 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 blah. And we'll get into Edward later because he's his whole, whole bag of worms. But then he leaves her in New Moon and he tells her that she wasn't actually interesting and that he will be over her in two seconds because mortals to his kind are nothing more than a distraction. And it takes a single sentence for her entire world to collapse because she relied on him to give herself value and meaning. And then when he's gone, as the months progress, she only starts recovering when she turns to Jake to fulfill the same role of he starts to give her meaning and she looks for him to see the good aspects of herself and starts to build herself up from that again. And then of course, Edward's back and he's back to his usual stuff and all is well because other people are there to tell Bella how important she is. And she never realizes that on her own and she never feels good about herself until she becomes a vampire. So with that, we're going to switch tracks a little bit and get into some of Bella's family issues, which do in help inform part of her mental health, at least, as well as why she latches onto the Cullens the way she does. Yeah, so to give Bella's backstory, when she was, well, 
she is the result of a uh, romance that happened very i cannot remember the english word for this but you know <laughs> it was a great romance between her mother and father where they fell you mean in a the whirlwind whirlwind yes! romance yes a whirlwind romance well, they fell in great and epic love and had a kid when they were both very young. And then within the year, Renee realized that she has made a huge mistake and does not want to live in this town at all, does not want this guy. She needs to get out. So she grabs the kid and, you know, runs across the country. Bella proceeds to have very little contact with her father. And it's not as explicitly stated, perhaps, but it comes across very strongly that she has been given from her mother a very negative perception of Forks. Like, she has her mother's exact attitude towards Forks, and, you know, that is a terrible place. You'll get stuck there and stagnate. Uh, small towns are terrible. Charlie is a boring person. There is nothing for her in Forks. So she spends, like two weeks a year or something or was it a month a year with Charlie until she's 14 and then she puts her foot down and he has to come to where she lives for two weeks for the three years until she moves to Forks. So a very one-sided custody arrangement where Renee has all the parenting and all the responsibility and Bella has very little contact with her father and the problem is that Renee is entirely unfit to be a parent like, she loves her kid. That's very clear. You know, she um, does her best. It's just that she never was fit to be a mother. She doesn't realize what, what the sacrifice that that entails, that she should have put Bella's desires ahead of her own or been there emotional for Bella. So she... Um, As an Bella example of this, uh, Bella notes that she immediately arrives in Forks and she starts doing all the grocery shopping and the cooking because that was what she did at home. And yeah, she knows she, that all of these adult responsibilities were hers. She planned her mother's wedding. Her mother wanted to get married in Mexico. Bella had to apply for the passports and get the passports and get all of that in working order. And then her mother bailed on the wedding in Mexico, which is a very telling, apparently, of Renee's uh, thought processes in general and where all her plans sort of end up. Yeah, Renee has a lot of dreams and Bella has always had to be the one who grounds her. And as a result, she has been the boring one, as Renee has in fact told her. And she is left with the feeling that her mother didn't really want a daughter. She knows this. She also, just to build up on that about Bella doing all the adult chores, part of the reason why she even leaves for folks is that Renee has a husband now. Thank God he can take care of her. So Bella is no longer needed to be her mother's caretaker and that alone. You know, she she had to raise herself, which is, she is a very clearly neglected child and has all these issues to go with. And she then goes to Fox, where Charlie is a very awkward person who doesn't quite know how to reach out. He loves her and they do grow closer, but... When she first gets there and, of course, gets in touch with Edward and meets the Counts, she is in a very precarious spot with Charlie as they, they are complete strangers to one another who happen to be living in the same house. They're very awkward people, so they don't really take any steps towards getting closer. It's just him being at work, her being at school, and they make dinner and go to bed, see each other the next morning. So more roommates than father-daughter so she has this family that can't really be called a family, and this is all she has. And then she sees the Cullens, who are in many ways just this perfect nuclear family. You have 
Charlie, the very loving and compassionate working father who... Carlisle. You said Charlie. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's late in my head. But yeah, you have Carlisle, who is very much just the ideal father. You know, he is just great. Everyone adores him and, you know, plays sports with the family instead of watching them in front of the television while the daughter is out in the kitchen washing dishes. Uh, you have Esme, who is just the ideal modern housewife. You know, she stays at home, is always there for the kids. Edward just praises her to the skies and Char Carlisle as well. You see, I almost said Charlie. You have the siblings, this just this big family, and they all... Well, Rosalie is a bit difficult, and Bella is threatened by her, but... Emmett, the big brother incarnate, and Alice, who is very much the sister figure. You just have this wonderful dynamic that Bella instantly wants to be a part of. When Edward leaves in New Moon, she's not just losing vampirism and Edward, but she's also losing this entire family that she so badly wanted to be a part of. He was there, her sole ticket to that. To her, I'm just going to keep talking, <laughs> and the muffin will get upset because she thinks I ramble. <laughs> but uh, the Cullens are just everything that she wants to be a part of. And it's so easy because she doesn't actually have to put in any of the work. She just has to, you know, date Edward and she gets the family for free. And that's what I want to talk about because her friendship with Alice is a very strange one because it's not actually a friendship. It's just Alice saying, I have seen that we shall be friends because she's a psychic. And then Alice proceeds to do all these girlfriendy things, like, you know, shop together, fuss about Bella, and fuss over Bella some more. Bella never has to actually be a friend to Alice in turn. She just can sit back and get all these perks and feel, you know, popular and adored for free. Well, hilariously, she has to put up with things she doesn't like. Alice insists on throwing her a very large wedding. Bella didn't want a large wedding. She throws Bella the mother of all birthday parties that Bella oh. adamantly didn't want. Oh, absolutely. No, she uh, is still getting attention. She is oh, getting yeah, she something that. that she never got to have. Uh, it's just because it was always all about Renee. And Charlie is too awkward to even know how to make a fuss over her. He will pop up in the morning with the reverse present before he leaves to work. With that, I think it's um, Bella's unique way of thinking. Yeah, as you can see, we're sort of just meandering through topics about Bella here. But uh, one thing we wanted to highlight is Bella has a very weird way of viewing the world. And we get her as a first-person narrator, so you get to see her go through all of this. But even so, like we mentioned before, a lot of it has readers and in-universe characters alike doing a double take because what the hell, Bella? So first off is that she feels like a total loser because she's not a vampire. She thinks she's weak, she's slow, she's useless. She repeats this constantly. And then when Jake enters the picture and he's a shapeshifter who's sort of like a werewolf, she feels even worse because now she's the only human and she's she can't do anything. So this leads to such situations as there's a ba uh, battle going on. Edward and uh, Seth, who is a shapeshifter, are fighting to protect her. She doesn't know if it's going well or not. She decides the way she can help out is to stab herself, which will distract the vampire. And then Edward will win and then she will be useful. Uh, this did not work. She almost stabbed herself, didn't quite get there. Everyone kind of gave her a funny look, and Edward said, Dear God, no, Bella, don't do it. And then uh, Edward happened to win anyway. 
but it was just a very weird moment where uh, the enemy of the day, Victoria, just gave Bella this look. Oh, she had no idea what was going through Bella's head then. <laughs> um, but also worth noting is the mental gymnastics to send herself to Forks. Uh, Vanilla mentioned this earlier, but she starts the novel and she tells us exactly why she's going to Forks, even though she despises it. She hates this town. And the first thing she does when she gets there is rag on how awful this town is. And the reason she's there is because her mother got remarried to this guy named Phil, who would take care of her in Bella's place. But specifically what Bella sees is that she's a third wheel in her mother's relationship with Phil because Phil is a minor league baseball player and is traveling about the country like every two weeks. And um, Renee can't go with him while Bella's still living with her. So Bella saw herself as dragging her mother down and that her mother really wanted to be with Phil and Bella's just in the way. So Bella decides the only thing for it is to send herself to Forks to finish high school. And she only tells Edward this. It seems she doesn't tell her mother. She doesn't tell her father. She's barely seen her father for years and or even all of her life. She just kind of shows up on her, his doorstep and he's not quite sure why she's there, but he's glad she decided to finish high school, he guesses. And then Renee's clearly not sure why Bella left either as uh, at the end of the novel, at, uh, at the end of Twilight, P Phil gets a permanent position and she says, oh, Bella, this is great. This means you can come back. Of course, Bella has a boyfriend by that point, which means that Bella does not come back because Edward and uh, Renee kind of just shrugs and says, okay, have fun with your boyfriend, Bella. But yeah, and um she has decisions like this constantly or just she will get the exact wrong point out of any story you tell to her. So what oh, we want to get back here is uh, mental health and fiction. And as we've sort of outlined above, uh, Bella clearly suffers from depression and she's a very non-typical thinking protagonist. And, uh, but people hate her. And so this sort of gets us to this point is that something we've noticed and not in just this book, but in other media as well, is that you've got to be the right kind of woman with the right kind of problem. People say they want mental health representation, but what they actually want is a relatable character or someone with flaws that they think are nice. So what you'll often see is Bella, the, the Bella people say they want is more crass. She's angry. She might be stealing from thrift stores or something, or she has a drinking problem at a very long age. She swears more. She's more assertive. She's more angry. She is not this depressed person that lets other people define her and searches for meaning in other people. She has very different sort of problems. And, um, I think there's a detriment in that, frankly, because I think what it does is it, well, it discounts a lot of things people do suffer from and a lot of things that teenagers go through. Bella is not, for all her weird thinking, she's not that uncommon. There are a lot of people who suffer from depression and there are a lot of teenagers who go through things like Bella does. Uh, they let other people define them in relationships. They struggle with who they are. They don't like the way they look, the way they are. They don't like themselves. 
And while uh, Bella perhaps doesn't find the answer we'd like to see in fiction, I do think it's important that characters like her are represented in fiction and that we do get to uh, see how these people who aren't necessarily what we want to see or want to look at too closely, how they interact with the world and what happens to them. And uh, yeah, I think with that, let's go to Torgrim. Yeah, let's do some Torgrim. Uh, okay, so for those who don't know, Torgrim is when you blow up one of our patrons. They pay to have me pull a random one of them from a list with Python's random number generator. So with that, let's see which patron gets blown up today. Oh, Torgrim blows up Rivkale. Or Rivkale. Oh, Riv Kyle. I've never actually said it out loud. Me neither. But regardless, oh, Riv Kale. Oh, we'll miss you. Oh, now you're just dust in the wind. You can imagine Kansas playing in the background. I can't because I don't know what Kansas sounds like. Oh, you've never heard the song? Yes, you have. It's a supernatural one, but that's just one song. I've watched Supernatural, Carry On My Wayward Son. No, Dust in the Wind is their other big number, but... uh, Okay. Which I guess Supernatural did not ever play. Just carry on I my wayward song. I did not pay attention to the kinds of songs they sung. They did not have a great music budget, and you could really tell. <laughs> oh, Supernatural. We're not here to talk about Supernatural. Okay. Mm-hmm. Reeve Kale, it was nice knowing you. I hope you uh, continue being a patron, even though you just got blown up. Enjoy the afterlife. Mm-hmm. So well, with that... Good afternoon. Good evening. No, wait, uh, in case you don't see each other again. Yeah. yeah. I'll just give it to you, goddammit. One day, one day we will get it. In case we don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night.